kiddos, they can head out this door right here where they will receive wonderful teaching from all our wonderful people. And if you are a mid-school-aged person, you can head out those back doors and they'll be meeting in the four-year front area meeting space, Narthex, whatever that place is called out there. So, <clears throat> how are y'all doing? Everybody hanging in here? You know, we actually come and we spray these seats right here with uh, person repellent and it's working great. So, uh, just saying no. <laughs> it's, uh, there we go. See, look, moving over. Moving, in, moving into the space. It's a real disciple there. Uh, yeah. So we are, uh, as Treb said, we're taking a break for three weeks from our study of the book of John, which we've been in since uh, January, so you can add up the weeks there. And uh, we are looking at really the idea of stewardship, which of course is the concept that nothing we have is ours, that we're stewards of everything, including uh, our, our time and our heart and our, uh, and our resources and everything that, that we have. And we just deeply desire to be a church that lives generously. And that is uh, because the reality is that, as you've heard Treb say a bazillion times, and as you, you'll hear us continue to say, that uh, my life and my things belong to Jesus. And it all surrounds the idea of surrender to and dependency upon Jesus. And that is supposed to affect every single nook and cranny of our existence. Um, and so we take a couple of weeks off to talk about stewardship because the Bible talks about it a lot. And if you're a, a visitor here and you're like, great, they're talking about money. Uh, we're actually not. I mean, we will, but we're not. So uh, because as we're hopefully going to make clear uh, as we walk through these, uh, this passage in Philippians together, in Philippians 4, what we actually want is for you to give your entire being to Jesus. And if you do that, then the rest of it will take care of itself. Um, so last week, Treb talked about um, living content, living in contentment or living uh, contentedly. And we looked at this passage in Philippians where, where Paul is going through and he says, listen, I've learned what it means to be content and that Christ is, the, is my strength in order to be content in all circumstances. And that there's this reality of gospel contentment that we're supposed to have this contentment, this rest, this peace. And then there is this circumstantial contentment that we generally live in. And there is this conflict between those two things. The circumstantial contentment, uh, it can change. A tornado can fly over your house. Uh, things can happen. And your circumstances are in constant flux. But Jesus never changes. And so our contentment is supposed to be based in utter dependency upon him and in the gospel. And it's supposed to stay good because Jesus is good. The conflict between those things, that gets resolved when we put our dependence upon Jesus. That is the thing that, that breaks the, the stress between those two things, is utter dependency upon Jesus. And when we depend on him and trust in him, that he is enough for us, that he is sufficient in all that he is for us, then we are able to then trust him and live in the strength that he provides. So we're going to continue looking at that passage in Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4. But the, the theme is going to stick the same, that your life and your things, that you belong to Jesus. I, we all belong to Jesus. And last week we looked at living in contentment. Now we're going to look at what it looks like to, to live in community with one another. 
But the reality that, that Jesus is enough and that he strengthens us, that's going to carry on through, through this next passage. So uh, pray with me before we get into that study. Lord, we, we love you. And how great to sing that my sin was great, but Jesus was, is greater. And that our shame was great, but Jesus is greater. And I love that your name is I Am. You are this constant, present, everything. And we all bring stuff in here from last night, from on the way to church, <laughs> from 60 years ago. And, but now in this moment is where we're at. And so we come to you, Jesus, who always is, to rest in you today. I, I just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be vulnerable before you today. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they were naked and not ashamed because they were before their, their father who was so good. And I pray that we would come to you to just rest in who you are, that all the stuff that we bring, we, we cannot escape it, and we bring everything to you. All that we are, all of our failures, all of our worries, all our concerns, all of our burdens, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our whatever, we bring it to you now, Jesus. Right now, as you're sitting there, just pray that the Lord would teach you what he wants you to learn. Pray that he would teach us through his word today. Whatever it is he wants you to know today, pray that he shows that to you. Pray for someone around you, for the person you came with, for the person you don't know who's sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, and pray for them, that the Lord would encourage them today and teach them what he wants them to know. Lord Jesus, we love you. We come to your word in, in, in humble adoration. Um, we come to your word trembling with contrite hearts. Would you please teach us what you want us to know. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable and pleasing to you today, Jesus. We love you, and we look forward to what you're going to teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse uh, 14. So in the, in, the, in the NIV, there's a paragraph break in 14, but other versions have a paragraph break at 15, so it's kind of wonky. Really, 14 is kind of still connected to uh, his thought in, in, in the previous passage, where he says, I can do uh, everything through him who gives me strength, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. And we're going to start there in verse 14 with what Paul's talking about. So he, like I said, he's just talked, been talking about contentment and in circumstances and, and that he knows what it is to live in plenty and in, and in, uh, in need, but that he has learned the secret of this contentment, and it is that Christ is enough for him and strengthens him to do all things. In verse 14, he says, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Okay, so 
let's just walk through this here real quick, all right? And so Paul is finishing this letter that he's written to the Philippians, right? It's this church that he loved. They were a church that was in Macedonia, and he had visited them on his, on his second missionary journey. And we're going to jump back real briefly into Acts to look at a bit of that story and to give us some frame of reference here. But it was this church that he just deeply loved, and he loved because they had this partnership in the gospel. But he says, yet, even though he uh, can, can do everything through him who gives him strength, it was good— of you to share in my trouble. So that word for good really means, uh, can be uh, translated beautiful or noble or even excellent. He's saying it was, it was excellent for you to share. And also the word there for share is uh, the root word uh, for a phrase you've heard uh, uh, that we get the word koinonia from, that it means fellowship. And it means it was good or excellent or, or noble for you to have fellowship in my troubles. The word for troubles really means to be pressed between two things, almost like grain being ground, right? Between uh, a millstone and an upper millstone. But it means distress, trial, tribulations. It's the same word Jesus uses in John 16, 33, when he says, these things I've told you so that you will have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. But take care, I have overcome the world. And you don't have to live in the world long to know that there's trouble. If you live in a world free of trouble, you should probably maybe get out more because I don't think uh, there's no avoiding it. I think even if you actually, if you just stay in your house all day, you're actually in trouble. So uh, anyway, but there's no getting around it. He's saying, listen, it was, it was, it's beautiful that you all had fellowship in my troubles, in my distress, in my difficulty. Isn't that fascinating? It was good. We don't even talk about trouble anymore, hardly in church anymore. If you listen to half the stuff on TV, you'd think that we're not supposed to have trouble. It's, you know, we knock on this book all the time, but you don't get a book like Everyday Friday. Uh, it just is, that's not real life. There is trouble. And it was good, beautiful, excellent, noble that these Philippians had, had fellowship with, with Paul in his troubles. He says, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. So you don't have to turn with me, but just to give you reference, in uh, Acts chapter 16 and 17 is where this happens, and it's the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And I'm just going to run through it real quick, but to give you a reference for further study in the week, uh, read Acts 16 and 17. Or you can remember from the three years you guys preached through Acts. But anyway, so it's Paul's second missionary journey. He and Silas, they're trying to go uh, to, this, uh, to this area, and they're trying to go to this place called Bithynia. But this is the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to go. So they're trying to, they want to go in this place, and, and the Spirit of God comes in and says, don't go here. Paul gets a vision of this Macedonian man that says, come over here and help us. So they go over into this region uh, of Macedonia, which is in, in, in uh, modern-day Greece, and they end up in, uh, in Philippi, where this lady Lydia is. And so Lydia hears the gospel. She gets saved. Her and her whole household, they stay with Lydia. And then Paul and Silas, uh, of course, go to jail like they, he often did. And because he was going around, and there was this slave girl who was, uh, had this spirit who allowed her to uh, see into the future. And she was basically bothering Paul. And so Paul turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, get out. The spirit leaves. And this slave girl who was the cash cow uh, caused trouble for these other people. And Paul and Silas, boom, they get uh, flogged. And they're basically thrown, torn and tattered and naked into jail. 
And then you have this story of the Philippian jailer, right? Where, where there's this earthquake and the cell doors come open and the jailer's expecting Paul to have left, but they're there. And uh, this jailer sees them and him and, his, him and his whole household come to faith in Jesus because of Paul's love and his, his companion's love for him. And then they, they stay in Philippi for a while. Then they end up having to uh, leave Philippi and go to Thessalonica, which is a little town near, near where Philippi was. And then, of course, they, they cause a ruckus there, and they have to leave to Berea, where they, you know, and then on to Athens, and that's the story as it goes and goes. But Paul is talking about in his second missionary journey, right? So he's left, and he had gone to visit. He was supposed to want to go somewhere else, but the Spirit of God directs him into Macedonia. Macedonia is the region kind of where, where Philippi is. So when he says, moreover, as you Philippians know, right? Because they remember this because this was not that long ago. Paul had actually come to visit them. As you know, he, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, isn't that a fascinating way to think of it? In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, the Philippians had the gospel because Paul brought it to them, right? We sort of think about that in, in weird terms here, like, oh, well, the gospel goes here and the gospel goes there. But the reality is that you and I are all sitting in here today, and we have the gospel because somebody brought it to somebody else. And Paul had brought the gospel to the Philippians, and then he stayed with them for a while. And then it says, when I set out from Macedonia. So Paul leaves that region, and he said, when I left that region, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. So uh, no matter what version you have, it's going to say in the matter of giving and receiving because the, he's talking about basically the language of, uh, of interchange and commerce, right? You have, you have someone gives you something and then someone receives it. He's talking about them giving him something and he receives it. So not super complicated there. But the idea is that they gave him help. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Isn't that fascinating? And as we talked about some last week, that the Philippian church was not some super rich, wealthy church. They, were, they had suffered through uh, war and famine, and they were an impoverished church. And yet they gave to him in the matter of uh, when he needed it, except you only. And then in verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, so he'd left Philippians, or Philippi, and gone to Thessalonica. It says, you sent me aid again and again, when I was in need. So think about this. How did they know he was in need? We're going to come back to that in just a second. And they sent him aid again and again. And then in 17, he goes, not that I'm looking for a gift. He's not asking for money from them. You see that? What's he looking for? I am looking for what may be credited to your account. So God is not a, a, a cosmic accountant, okay? He's not up there going, when they tithe, such and such, and oh, missed a week. Oh, he, God is not like that. He isn't, God is not a, 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 a cosmic bean counter. In the Bible, think of, if I say, think of a hero of the Bible. I don't know who pops up. Jesus, okay. Jesus, I was kind of cheating, right? But um, Jesus isn't ever cheating or associated with cheating in any way. But so it's always the, the quick answer, Sunday school answer. Uh, so let's think of David, right? What made David great was not that he tithed regularly. What made Moses, Moses, what made Elijah, Elijah, and Isaiah, Isaiah, was not that they gave all the time. 
It was that their heart was fully God's. David was a man after God's own pocketbook. No, he was a man after God's own heart. It doesn't even say he was a man after God's own mind, but his own heart. The entire story of the Bible is that God wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, everything else falls into place, right? So there's a couple things that pop out of here, right? In verse 14, he says, share in my troubles. To share in my troubles. And then in verse 16, or 15, not one church shared with me. Do you know that we are created to share one another's troubles? Um, as the church, we're actually commanded to do it. So Paul wrote another letter to, in Galatians, and it was a church that was struggling with, with all of this, uh, this false doctrine and people who were, were saying you had to, had to basically become Jewish to, to become a believer. And he writes this letter addressing that, uh, the, the, this bad theology that they were getting infected by. But in the end of that, in, in chapter 6, he says that you're supposed to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Is it give all your money? No. Remember what it is? Love one another. Love one another. That is it. Like if you get that, you get it. If you love one another and you say, oh, well, I can't love people well. That's right. Well, how am I going to do it? I need your power. That's right. So, but the key to the whole thing, the keystone to that arch is love one another. See, it was good for them to share in his troubles. It was good for them to do that. It was excellent, beautiful, noble that they shared in his troubles. When he went from Macedonia, it says, not one church share with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. So they knew Paul was leaving. Paul's going to go. He's like, all right, gospel, establish a church. I'm going to go. I'm going to other places. And then he would leave people there. He would come back. And it was this process that Paul did over and over. When he left, the poorest church, I don't know that it was actually the poorest church, but a, an impoverished church gave to Paul. Because like in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, listen, I, uh, I came and I didn't even charge you. I, I had to live, so I made tents so that I could teach and preach and not have to be a burden to you. But they gave out of their poverty so that Paul could do what God wanted him to do. They were the only church. And in verse 16, it says, when I, when I was in Thessalonica, so he's in the same region in Thessalonica, but he's, you know, communication was not fast. Like the fastest thing you could do was give a dude a letter and put him on a horse. That was it. That was the fastest way to get something. It's not like Paul could send them a text and be like, yo, Church in Philippi, um, I'm hungry. Can you send me some money? They sent him aid again and again when he was in need. How did they know he was in need? Well, now there are people going back and forth. We have Epaphroditus going from, from the Philippian church to Paul. And they, I'm sure they knew he was in need that way. But I, now I'm stepping outside of the text a little bit here, so forgive me. But I, I think that they knew that he was in need. 
Because they asked Jesus where they could help. And Jesus told them, send money to Paul. It's not that big of a secret. There is debate, right, about whether or not God still speaks and what that means. And everybody, uh, we, we end up debating in the church more than, I can't wait to glory where there'll be no more debating. But anyway, we, we, you get like, okay, if you've ever prayed and asked, Lord, show me to do something. I don't know how it works, but God communicates with my spirit, do something. And then we either obey or we don't. God says, go talk to that person. Come over and you don't generally lead with God told me, right? That's weird for most people. And so you just go over and talk to him. And I think that the Philippian church prayed and that the spirit of God directed them to give to Paul. Because it says that they gave again and again when I was in need. Paul had need and they understood his need, and they responded to meet it. We're supposed to seek out need. It's not something that you just say, well, I didn't know. Well, go look for it. There is need around, church. It's all over. Do something about it. The, the, constant, the American church... Uh, I say I'm going to preach, but I'm preaching already. But the American church, I was, so I was reading about the history of the church in China. And so you guys know that there was lots of missionaries, just China Inland, China Inland Mission and all these, uh, Hudson Taylor, and there's a lot of missionaries in China until 1949 when the communists took over. 1950, all foreign missionaries had to leave. So that's like if you're a missionary and you're like, okay, I've been here, I've been prepping and teaching and done, and then all of a sudden you have to leave. That gets really scary. And so from 1950 to 1980-something, there was very little contact. You couldn't get into China. You couldn't, it was closed. And so lots and lots of people around the world were praying for the church in China because they knew there was a church there. But their fear was, oh, they're not getting encouraged. They're not getting built up. They're not getting taught. What's going to happen? When they went back in there, the Chinese church was like 50 million people. It was all underground, meaning it was in house churches and it wasn't, they didn't have big buildings because it was illegal. Now you can technically, it's different, things are different now. But during that 25, 30 year span, the church in China grew and they grew deep and they grew strong. Yes, did they lack some training? Yeah. Was some of their theology probably wacky? Yeah. But the Spirit of God is responsible for growing His church. And that Chinese church grew without all this stuff. And they grew because they had dependency upon the Spirit of God. They had dependency upon Jesus. They didn't grow because they had programs or stuff. And we in the United States, we have everything you could possibly ask for as a church. And we are so fat and lazy and sad. It makes me sad when I think about the church in the States today. What are we doing? We argue with people. We talk politics with people. We have a culture war. We, we, we demonstrate. We, we stupid junk, and we have to stop it. That is not the purpose of the church. I mean, ugh, for crying out loud, let me ask you a question. If you ask just a random person out there, what is an evangelical? That word's supposed to mean something, right? It's, a, it's a, connected with the Greek word for the gospel, 
That's what an evangelical is. It's not a voting block. Okay? It never was, and it shouldn't be now, and it shouldn't be in the future. When you stand before Jesus, he will not ask you how you voted. He will ask you if you loved. That is what he will do. He will ask you if you loved. Paul's entire relationship with the Philippian church was based in love. When you, you, it just drips from the whole letter. And in verse 17, Paul's not even, he doesn't, he's not looking for a gift. He's not asking them to send him money. He's even said before, I am well supplied. I'm good. Don't send me anything. He says, I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Somehow, when we love the Lord and give because we love him, he takes note of that. And that's a good thing. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to you know, get there and God's going to be like, you had more in your heavenly piggy bank than he did. It's not like that. But that things that we do now actually matter in eternity. So back in chapter 1 of Philippians, you know, you wonder what, it, what was the source of this generosity that they had. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, which is super famous, I thank my God every time I remember you. Which is such a precious verse. I thank my God every time I remember you. Isn't that a great thing? Imagine every time you thought of a person or a group of people, you just thank the Lord for those people. He says uh, in 1.3 and then 1.4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your giving may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That your political force, that you would win the culture war, that you would uh, win an argument. What does Paul say? That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise, to the glory and praise of God. Wow. Now that, man, that guy really knows how to start off a letter. Because of your partnership in the gospel, they partnered with Paul in the work of the gospel. Do you see that? The job of the church is not to sit out here and listen to us yap on Sunday. Your job is to live out the gospel. The partnership in the gospel happens here. Happens here. And they partnered with Paul in the work of the gospel. Partnered with him. How? They served. They prayed. They gave. They loved him. They share in God's grace. The, every time the gospel is being shared, it's the, the grace is like the, the grease that makes everything work. Because we all, I mean, in chapter, chapter 4 starts out with this. Paul saying, listen, you guys are fighting each other. You need to stop. 
old Syntyche and Yodi, or however you say her name. It happens. Grace is what helps us get along. And it's always based in love. You see, that was the motivation for their giving. Why did they give to Paul? Was they, they're giving to Paul and they're like, oh, if I give Paul 10%, then the Lord will return 100% to me. If I give to Paul, then I will get... That's not giving. I'm sorry. That's an investment, which are great. Investments are smart. God's not... He's not a great ROI, okay? Uh, sometimes you give money the, and, and the Lord does not return it back, okay? Sometimes you give, you'll spend $1,000 on something and you'll think, oh man, what a... But God can see what it's really doing. And he knows. That's why he doesn't ask. Paul's not asking for their money. He's asking for their continued partnership in the gospel. And that is, I'll be real honest, that's what we're asking for here. I... We had made fun of because they say that the stewardship stuff is where we come and don't ask you for money. But the, the reality is that Treb and I, we do not want your money. I, I want your heart utterly surrendered to Jesus. That is what I want. I want you to partner with us in the gospel. That is what I want. I want your love to abound still more and more. I want us to experience the grace of God together. I want us to I want everybody, I have a map in my office with a half-mile circle around it. I want everybody in that half-mile circle around this church, and I have all your addresses on the map. Not all of them, because I don't know where all you live, because we all just communicate virtually. But you all live in a, in a place. And I want all of those people to all hear the gospel. I want this whole neighborhood to get saved. I can't do that. Do you know that? But you can. You can walk out the door of this church and walk down and knock on the door and say, hey, I don't know you, and this is so weird, but can I buy you some tacos? And, well, I just, I, I go to this church down here, and it's crazy, but I just, I want to get to know you. My name's Carl. So, that is what we want. We want your partnership in the gospel. That is not what most churchgoers want. I'll be real honest. You want to come to church. You want us to serve your needs. You want us to fix everything. You want us to greet you in a certain way. You want your kids to be, we are a hot mess around here. We are. Don't let anybody, there's no wool to pull over your eyes because we can't buy any wool. So it's just <laughs> what it is. We deeply want your partnership in the gospel. That is what we deeply desire. Because as that happens, I tell you what, if each person in here said, Lord, show me where to give. I surrender my spirit and my finances to you. Show me where to give, and I will give. Then all of our needs will be taken care of. No worry whatsoever, because our confidence is not in your ability to feel bad and give money. It's in the Lord Jesus, period. And that means we're going to be okay. The last thing I want to say is this. God, God created us to bear one another's burdens. Um, that was why Paul loved the Philippian church so much, because they actively sought out to find him in need. Um, I don't know if you're in a place, and I'm going to tout community groups or whatever, but find, you, you need to be in a place where you can share your life with people. That is how we share in part in the gospel. It's not just going out and preaching, it's actually loving one another. And if you're not actually in a time, and you have no space in your life where you can actually meet with other Christians— it doesn't have to be some kind of formulaic thing, but make space in your day or your week or whatever 
to be around other believers. Just do it. And I, you hear all kinds of excuses. Well, I don't, do, do, do. Well, I don't have time for that. Well, I don't, whatever. I don't care. Just figure it out. You're smart people. All right? Figure it out. Find time to be together. Find time. Seek out people to serve. Seek out people to pray for. Seek out ways to give. Seek it out. Seek it out. And just as we walk through this process together of watching what God does in this church and as we share in the ministry of the gospel together, it gets really, really, really fun because the Lord does amazing things when his people come to him and say, Lord, we we don't have enough. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. And I don't know what to say, but I want to walk in obedience to you. Please help me. And that's when you get somebody like Paul who does a whole bunch of great things because he surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I love the concept of stewardship, that this is all yours, and that you have given it to us to manage it. Oh, Lord, help us do that well. I thank you that this whole operation is not dependent upon us. I thank you that the gospel is greater than us. I thank you, Jesus, that you are greater than we are. I thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you want our entire heart. I thank you that you want us to share in the gospel, that you want us to share in one another's sufferings, that you want us to seek out ways to serve. Please do that, Jesus. I pray that this church would stick out like a sore thumb in this community. I pray that we would stick out and that people would think, boy, those guys are weird, but man, they love each other really well. Boy, those guys are nuts, but man, they, they say they love God on their sign, and I think they maybe really do. Please get in and break us of our trust in ourself, Lord, and help us rely on you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen.